What a way to start off our Sunday. Well, this morning, we are at the beginning of the end. We did a four-month series on truth, godliness, influence, and now finishing. This is the last of it, so we are, but it's the first Sunday of it, so we're at the beginning of the end as we come in to finish, and the goal is to finish strong. There's a story about some older Chinese men, and they started playing a game one day. It was a game called Fantan. It's a simple roulette-type game, and, and they were actually two or three days deep into this game. They were just continuing to gamble the days away, and, and, and it was just, they each kind of took a turn where they were just on a roll, winning, and, and it just kept going, so they kept trying to better their odds, and, and they just weren't stopping. And someone came in and said to them, hey, guys, there's a giant tsunami headed our way. Our whole island is going to be wiped out. Essentially, the world that we know is going to come to an end. And one of the men said, well, if that's true, then I must go to the temple and pray. And he walked away. And another man said, well, this is true. I must go be with my family. And he walked away and there were two men. And the third man said, if this is true, then I need to go and I'm going to find all my friends and we're just going to drink and we're going to enjoy each other's company until the end. And the fourth man stood up and said, well, I shall finish the game. See, the thing is, it's easy to start something. Starting something is usually the easiest thing we do. Finishing well, that's a different matter. You can say amen if this speaks to you. Starting that new diet program or that new exercise program, that's easy. Finishing it, not always so much. Hanging in over the long haul. That's the real test on things. You can amen this one if you're brave. Getting married is exciting and relatively easy. Staying married through the struggles, the adjustments, the trials. It's not always an easy matter, is it? Amen. (laughs) Full, Full disclosure, our 20th wedding anniversary was... Last week, and I took Andy out for dinner. Oh. <laughs> now, now, hold on. <laughs> we were out of town for a conference, <laughs> and I asked permission a few months back. Hey, this is when it is. I know the timing's not great, but there's an opportunity, so she, she gave me her blessing, but that's, you know, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> there will be a price. <sighs> It was a nice restaurant. It was nice. Um, The same is true for the Christian life. Becoming a Christian is relatively easy. The the Bible says God's plan for salvation is is really simple. You you hear the word, you believe what you've heard, you repent of your sins, you confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you're baptized, and that's easy. But then comes the hard part, growing in Christ, spiritually maturing from from an infant a spiritual infant to a spiritual adult who then chooses to disciple and share Jesus with others. Hanging in there as a Christian in a world that has over the years become somewhat hostile towards God and his people. In a world that constantly dangles in front of us all that it has to offer in opposition to the things of God. It's not easy. The enemy hits us with temptation after temptation and the real test of our faith is, is will you endure? Will you last? 
Will you finish the game? You see, genuine faith in Christ perseveres to the finish line. We need to understand and embrace that the Christian life is a marathon. It's not a 100-yard dash. And I'll say this a couple of times in this message today, and, and I think it's obvious, but I'm not much of a runner. But I know that finishing a marathon well is not easy. And if you see someone who actually sprints across the finish line of a marathon, usually they're the guy that jumped in at like mile 12 or at the last two miles and, and cheated their way through it. But every once in a while, you'll see that guy who, who, or girl who, in running a marathon, has saved up just enough so at the end they can sprint that last 50 yards and come in strong. And when you see that person, you go and you, you want to find out their secret. Well, how'd you do it? Well, they practiced and they trained and they, they ran in the rain and they ran in the snow and they ran in the heat and they ran and they ran and they ran. You see, I think the Apostle Paul was that kind of a man. And when he writes these letters to Timothy, First and Second Timothy, I think it's, it's almost like he's crossed the finish line of this marathon called life and he's got energy to spare. So he, he kind of jogs back to where Timothy is. This is how I picture these letters, because I'm, I'm different like that. But he, he jogs back to where Timothy is, and, and maybe Timothy seems to be losing a little bit of steam, and Paul encourages him to keep running well. Listen to what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. He says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. He's talking to Timothy. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. He says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth And turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardships. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. Verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And then verse 8, it's kind of the celebration part. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Can you see it? Can you see and hear what Paul is saying to Timothy? It's clear when we look at this season of Paul's life that he is looking death in the face. I think these words maybe sobered Timothy up a little bit with some reality that that Paul had just handed off or is in the process of kind of handing off the baton. And he's saying to Timothy, now you have to finish well. Paul's words are not those of a discouraged, broken old man. There's no despair, there's no defeat, there's no cynicism, there's no fear. And and the, the reason I bring that up is because Paul is facing execution. He's in jail, but his calm assurance is even more startling when you think about his circumstances. He wasn't just in jail. 
He was in prison. The particular prison, you can look this up, it was called Mam- <laughs> Mamertine, M-A-M-E-R-T-I-N-E, Mamertine Tyne Prison in Rome. And you think, well, that doesn't sound too bad. It's got a nautical theme to it, you know. Here's the thing. The worst of our prisons and conditions that you could think of today would be like the Hilton in comparison to the prison that Paul was in. I did some research about this particular prison, and Paul's cell was just a dark, damp dungeon. And the way that they, they put prisoners in and out was they, they lowered them down on a rope or a ladder through a hole, through holes in the floor above. He was in a place where, unlike what we think of when we think of jail, he, in this particular prison, there was no windows, there were no lights, there was no toilet, there was no furniture, there was no running water. He's in a basically a solitary confinement kind of situation. And you think about that, and then think about the circumstances outside the prison. They were not that encouraging either, because during this time, many people seemed to be turning away from this apostle. Many people seemed to be turning away from the faith, and some people were even beginning to follow false teachers. You see, Paul had labored for the past 30 years or more, preaching the gospel around the Roman Empire, but at this point, It was at best a tiny sect scattered. And Paul was not the world-famous apostle. He wasn't appearing on TV shows and autographing books and doing invitations to come out and speak on a world tour. He's in prison. And yet this man is clearly at rest. He is confident in the way that he has spent his life. And he is calmly assured as he faces death. So what does Paul have to teach us about finishing well? Well, we're going to focus on verses 6, 7, and 8 in the scriptures I read to you just a bit ago. Verse 6 speaks about Paul's present. He says, I am, and we're going to break that down. Verse 7 talks about his past. He says, I have the things he has done. And verse 8 begins with, in the future, with what's coming for Paul. And we're going to talk about those because in order for us to finish well, I think we need to stay focused on Paul's view of, of the present, the past, and the future. And so we're going to start with the present. To stay focused, to finish well, we're going to look at verse 6 again, and we're going to look at keep Paul's view of the present. And here's what he says. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. Three key words, if you want to write them down, that will help us to finish well. Reproduction, sacrifice, and departure. Those are three things I'm going to hit on with Paul's life. He finished well because he had reproduced himself in others. See, he... It leads me to ask the question, who are you discipling? Who are you mentoring for the Lord? Who are you reaching out to? Who are the younger people? Who are the older people? Who are the people that you are, you are working with for the Lord? See, Paul's saying to Timothy, you be prepared to preach the word even in the face of opposition. I'm about to die, so I'm handing you the torch to carry. The reality is, when you think about the life of Paul dying, going to heaven, is easier when you know that you're leaving behind a number of people who can carry on with Christ because of your influence. I always like to say that my goal is to get to heaven and take as many people with me as I can. That's how that happens. We have to reproduce ourselves in others. Not making many replicas of me, but the good things in me and the, the Jesus in me. Each of us needs to ask ourselves, are we working on that task? The vision at Huntsville Christian Church is to go to win and commit to grow. The Great Commission, to make disciples of others, that commission applies to every Christian at some level. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're walking with Him, then He calls you to make disciples of others. It's very simple. You can begin at home. 
Every Christian parent and grandparent ought to be waging an all-out campaign to train up their children to know Christ and to walk with Him. That's the first place we can reproduce ourselves. It doesn't happen by accident. It begins by setting the example. It begins by walking in reality with Jesus Christ if you want to pass that down to your kids and your grandkids. Beyond that, dads, are you taking the time to read the Bible? Are you taking the time to pray with your kids? Are you making sure that your family gathers with the Lord's people on the Lord's day to worship and teach and learn? Do you talk openly at home about spiritual things? Do you apply God's word when there are tensions, when there are trials, when there are things happening in your home? Do you apply God's word to it? And beyond your immediate family, we also ought to have a vision for reproducing ourselves in the lives of others. Godly men should be handing off the faith to younger men in the faith. 2 Timothy uh, 2, chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says this, he says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Take what you know, entrust it to reliable people, encourage them to teach others. Women, you're, you're in this too. You're included in this charge. Titus 2, verses 3 through 5 says that godly women should be training younger women in these things of God. And simply put, part of finishing well is understanding that when you're gone, there should be others who will carry on with Christ because of your influence. Next thing is sacrifice. Paul could finish well because he viewed his life as an offering to God. Paul didn't view his execution as cruel or a tragedy or as unfair treatment in view of his many years of dedicated service. He wasn't sitting there going, why me? No, he saw this as as the the culminating offering of a sacrificial life. I want to explain this to you in this way. In the Old Testament, after the sacrificial lamb had been placed on the altar, and just before it was lit on fire to be consumed as an offering to God, the priest would pour on it about a quart of wine. And it was the final sacrifice poured out on the existing sacrifice. That was the drink offering. And that was how Paul viewed his own death. He lived his life sacrificially. So he's like, I did this, but now I'm presenting the final part of myself to you, God. I'm pouring out everything else I have. And this death, his death would be the drink offering poured out on top of the way he sacrificially lived his life. This means that to finish well, you need to view all of your life as an act of sacrificial worship to God. As Paul put it in Romans 12, verse 1, he said, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Brothers and sisters, you don't serve Christ in order to get praise from other people. You serve Christ as an act of worship towards Him. If others turn away from you, or if others badmouth you, as they were doing to Paul, or if you're earthly, like Paul, if your earthly reward for a lifetime of dedicated service is to lose your life, it's okay because all of your life has been an offering to God. This also means that to finish well, we need to view ourselves as expendable in God's service. Well, see, we don't like to hear that. Wait a minute. I'm expendable? I thought I was irreplaceable. Now, if we're going to live sacrificially, we need to look at ourselves as being expendable in God's service. Look, here's Paul the great apostle to the Gentiles, the man who did more for the spread of the gospel than any other man in church history. That's my opinion. His influence was incalculable. He did all this stuff and he could finish well because he saw himself as expendable. 
a drink offering. He knew he was being poured out. He even told the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, I do not consider myself, my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Nothing that happened to Paul surprised him. Shipwrecked, okay. <laughs> Imprisoned, okay. He didn't say, why me, why me? God told him why. The thing is, if, if we have inflated ideas of our own, important, our own importance, we will not finish well. All of us should view ourselves and all of our service as a sacrificial offering to God. The next thing is departure. Paul could finish well because he viewed his death as a departure. He didn't view his death as the end, but as the beginning. He said in verse, uh, verse 6, chapter 4, he said, The time of my departure has come. You see, the great thing about death for Christians is, is it's never the cessation of existence, but it's a separation of the soul from the body. And in this word departure, the Greek word that Paul uses is very vivid. It, it's like used to describe the unyoking of, a, of an ox or an animal from a plow or a cart after a long day of work. It, that's the, the departure. That's that word. It's, um, we call, there, there was a, a, whoa, I touched that, didn't mean to. Um, another word for that is uh, in a soldier's tent, the, the guide wires that pull it tight when they loosen it. Is the same word for departure. And so death means the end of our labors. It means the end of our toils in this life. It was also used, fittingly, Paul used the same word in, in, in the same term for loosening the bonds of a prisoner who has then been set free. You see, death is a release from the bonds of this corruptible body. And simply put, if you have Paul's view of death as departure, you'll be able to finish without fear and even be able to finish with the anticipation knowing that to depart and be with Christ is much better. And you'll be able to say like Paul said in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so to finish well, we keep in focus Paul's view of the present. The present ministry that he had was, was reproduction. He was continually pouring himself into others. His present life was a sacrifice to God and his impending death is a, is a departure to be with Christ. The next thing we're going to focus on is the past, Paul's past specifically, because to finish well, we need to keep that in mind. You see, he says in verse, verse 7, chapter 4, I have fought the good fight. These are the I have statements. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul was able to look back on his past in Christ and say confidently that he had done well. He, he doesn't say... I was the perfect representation. He doesn't say, I didn't err. He doesn't say, I didn't make mistakes. But he says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. Sometimes, those of you who do run, when you get to the end of a grueling marathon or, or a triathlon or an Ironman, you get to the end of that, sometimes finishing the race is just as good as if you came in first or 41st. It didn't matter. I finished the race. I kept the faith. I kept my integrity while I ran that race. Paul was able to look back on his past in Christ and say confidently he had done well. He's not saying there hadn't been mistakes. He's not saying there weren't times of discouragement. But through all of the problems, through all the trials, through all the things that Paul had done, he says, I stayed in the race. He could have said, 
I did what God called me to do. But really, in order for us to join in and say the same thing with Paul and make these statements, he says, I have fought the good fight. See, when you come to the end of your life, will you be able to look back and say, I've been involved in the struggle for the cause of Christ? See, the the struggle for the cause of Christ is not just any fight. It's the good fight. It's the fight of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God, for the salvation of souls. Can you say right now, I care more about lost people than my own preferences for worship or paint or carpet color? I hope you can. I want to help you answer that question. If you can't say that, you're living primarily for your own spiritual comfort or you're spending your time and your money on your own pursuits of the American dream. You may attend church every week. You may profess to know Christ as your Savior, but if your purpose in life is to be comfortable, then you're not seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You're not involved in the struggle for the cause of Christ. See, when you struggle for the cause of Christ, it will cause you to be uncomfortable from time to time. Ask Paul. If, on the other hand, you live for the purpose of building up the body of Christ, extending His kingdom through your work, through your labors, your time, your money, according to the gifts and opportunities God's given you, then you are involved in that struggle for the cause of Christ. The second part of verse 7, 7b as I like to call it, Paul says, I have finished the course or the race. I've not dropped out of the race. He's talking about a long race. I think everybody has seen, we see it on TV, we see it in life, people who began the Christian life with a flourish of activity and enthusiasm and maybe went into full-time ministry, but with trials and disappointments hit, they drop out. I had a friend of mine in college. He was, he was an amazing student. Um, he was a great youth minister, and the first church that he went to, he just got ruined by, by leadership that, that didn't do things well. And, and he stepped away. He said, I don't deserve to be treated like this. And he went into a whole other avenue of life and it broke my heart because I saw the things that he did with young people and in the way that he communicated with them but he was damaged he couldn't do it when trials when disappointments happen they'll happen if you haven't been disappointed as a Christian you're not doing it right (laughs) it happens sometimes we need to take a break maybe you do need to be refreshed and renewed but you get back in the race you get along in a marathon, whatever, so, so often there's those little tables and there's little people at the tables and they're sitting here with water and they see somebody coming and they're holding the water and they try to catch up, they try to keep with them, keep with them. They hand it off, refresh. There's, in, in the Ironman competitions, I don't do them, but I watch them on TV because I think it's impressive. But as these guys are coming off from swimming and they're getting ready to, to go into the next thing. They're trying to put shoes on. There's somebody else that's like giving them an energy gel. And so like they're, they're getting dressed while people are, are feeding them and, and trying to, to get them back into the race. Even in some of the really long races where people run, I don't know why you would do this, but there are these races where you run like all day and sleep for like two hours and then you get up and run again. So you're not like, what is wrong with those people? But even then they take a break. And while they're taking a break, um, the, the bicycle, the Tour de France, same kind of thing. They pedal, pedal up and down these mountains. They get off the bike. People are massaging their legs and their arms, and they're, they're giving them oxygen. They're doing all this stuff. Whew. The very next day, they're back on the bike. They're back in the race. So yeah, take time. Get renewed. Get refreshed. But get back in the race. 
Don't stop just because disappointment happened. No matter what, we should never take a break from walking with the Lord. I've said it again, I've never ran a marathon, but I know there's no such thing as an easy marathon. And we need to get, we need to get out of our heads that the Christian life is all glory and effortless bliss, that, that it's just we just walk and nothing happens. There's joy, but there are many trials. The Christian life requires endurance. So make up your mind today that you're going to hang in with the Lord through the tough times so that you can look back at the end and say with Paul, I have finished the course. At the end of verse 7, Paul says, I have kept the faith. I've guarded the truth about Christ. Several times in his letters to Timothy, Paul has talked about the deposit. Have you come across that word when you read the letters to Timothy? He talks about the deposit. And then he says to Timothy, guard the deposit. He's referring to the truth of the gospel, the core doctrines of, the, of Christian faith. And when Paul says he has kept the faith, he means that he has carefully guarded the truth of the gospel about Jesus Christ that God has given to him. He, he has not bought into any of the false teachings. He has not bought into to that, what, the earlier part of the verse where it says they, they tell them what their itching ears are wanting to hear. He didn't buy into that because he is, he is keeping that. He is guarding that trust. He held sound doctrine through his life and throughout his day. And folks, I want to tell you, you can't keep a faith that you're unclear about. To be able to look back on your life, to echo Paul's words, I have kept the faith. You need to be clear on the essentials of their faith. It's just as much under attack today as it was in Paul's day. So we need to sink down some roots. We need to find our foundation in sound doctrine and know what you believe. Andy tells our young people all the time, know what you believe so that you're not tossed around by all the winds of false doctrine. I believe that Paul could finish well because he could look at his present, his present day, his present ministry, his present situation of being in jail, and he saw the reproduction through Timothy and through these other people, but his present life, he saw it as a sacrifice. And his impending death, he saw as a departure. He could look at his past, he knew he had been involved in the struggle for the cause of Christ. He didn't drop out of the race. He may have struggled. He, he talked with God about a thorn in his flesh, and God said, my grace is sufficient. He may have struggled, but he didn't drop out of the race. He guarded the truth of the gospel. And that same thing, he, that same time, he looked to the future. Verse 8 says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul could finish well in spite of his dismal circumstances of being in a prison because he had secure hope for the future. There are two aspects about Paul's hope that I want to share with you real quick. First off, Paul could finish well because he hoped to meet the Lord the righteous judge. He hoped to meet the Lord. You may think that sounds more like dread than hope. I don't know that I'm ready to meet the Lord. We often say, Lord, Jesus, come back, but not today because I messed up a little bit ago. I got to get, I got to fix that. You may think that sounds more like dread than hope. And there should be an element of, of awe and fear when we think about standing before the Lord. But the prevailing emotion we should have is an expectant hope. Our world, I think when the world thinks about standing before the righteous judge, 
they should be filled with dread. But Christians should love thinking about his appearing and his return. Here's why. See, Paul wrote in Romans 8, 1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the reason that you'll not be condemned on Judgment Day is not because you've earned it by being a good person. It's that by his death on the cross, Jesus Christ satisfied God's perfect righteousness. And when you were baptized into Christ, God deposited Christ's righteousness onto your account, so to speak, to put it into some layman's and banker's terms. That's why. And that's why that that hope of meeting the Lord, the righteous judge who will welcome us into heaven on the basis of his son, his perfect righteousness of his son. Knowing that should help us now to run the race with endurance. Second thing, Paul could finish well because he lived in in view of that day. It's difficult to interpret what Paul means by the crown of righteousness. I think we we sell heaven short when we start talking about the gifts that we're going to get when we get there. And we talk about pearly gates and streets of gold and mansions and crowns and things like that. I think that maybe Paul's meaning here is simply that his earthly judge, who would be the evil Nero, had wrongly condemned him. And he knew that the righteous judge, God, would vindicate him when he stood before him. There's a crown of righteousness. You see, this is the third time that Paul uses that day in his letter to Timothy. And he lived to view that day when, when Christ would come, when he would stand before Christ. And we should, we should also. You see, the fact that we will stand before the Lord, the righteous judge, on that day should motivate us to live righteously on this day. Perhaps your circumstances seem pretty dismal today. Maybe you're considering dropping out of the Christian race, but can you hear Paul? Encouraging you from the dungeon, Timothy. Don't quit. Keep going. You can finish well. Keep in focus my view of the present. Reproduce yourself in others to carry the torch after you. View your life as a sacrifice to God. Can you hear Paul saying that? Your death will be departure to be with Christ. Keep focus on my view of the past so that one day it will be your past. You'll be able to look back and say, you engaged in the struggle for the cause of Christ. Don't drop out of the race, Timothy. You guard the truth of the gospel. Keep in focus my view of the future so you will stand before the Lord, the righteous judge, vindicated by his grace. Live in view of that day like it's just around the corner. I believe if we live with Paul's focus that we will finish well. As we come to our response time this morning, I want to encourage you to make a commitment that no matter what, you will finish well. Our young people, will you open the door and let them in? They missed the cue. Let me do this. Um, Our young people are coming in right now and, and they're going to come in, they're going to get their backpacks and they're going to put them on and in a second, we're going to pray, not only that they finish this school year well, but we're going to pray, and it's probably going to freak them out. Some of them haven't been up on stage before. We tried to prepare them for this. And um, as, as my young people are coming up, um, go ahead, if you're in junior or senior high, uh, come on up too. My, where's my junior and senior high? You know who you are. Don't make me come down there and get you. Yep, come on. You old kids stand over here on this side. That, keeping the sheep and the goats separate. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's, 
little, little church humor. Just, I'm just kidding. All right. What we're going to do here in just a second. First off, we're going we're gonna to sing our response song together. And, and um, as we do that, I want us to be preparing ourselves just like these kids. They're starting school. The first day of school is coming up. Like Andy said, they're ready. They got new backpacks. We got new teachers. We got new, new shoes. Everybody get new shoes for school. All right. Let's, let's all pretend like tomorrow's our first day. And let's prepare well so that we don't just start well, but that we can finish well. And I'm excited to share with you throughout the rest of the month about how we can finish well. I think we're off to a good start. But right now, will you stand and sing our response song with us? And, and if you would like some prayer, if you want uh, some encouragement on how to finish well, the elders are here. They'd love to pray with you also. Go ahead. Let's sing our response song. <laughs> you know what? Amen. There it is. Well done. Hey, it's, it's been great to be here with you all today, to worship with you, to, to pray with you, to share God's word with you, to pray for our younglings and encourage them as they start the new school year. But it's time to go to win and commit to grow. So go preparing yourself to finish the race well. And remember what I've shared with you today from the life of Paul. To live as Christ, to die as gain, and to finish the race is to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Will you sing this last song with us?